podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Introducing the amazing iPhone XS you'll love on T-Mobile, the most loved in wireless. It's the perfect way to stay connected to those you heart most. Fall in love with iPhone XS on T-Mobile. And right now, trade in an eligible iPhone and you'll save $300. Visit a store or call 1-800-T-MOBILE. If you cancel service, remaining balance is due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. $279.99 down plus $30 per month times 24. Full price $999.99. 0% APR for well-qualified buyers plus tax on full price. Allow eight weeks for rebate. Welcome to your weekend managing Madrid podcast. What's up? Uh, it's your host, Gabe Buzzer. How you doing? Are you having a good weekend? I hope you are. I hope you had a great week. Um, and you ready for the week? Uh, I, I'm 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 a little exhausted. I am luckily joined by Kian Savani and Om Arvind to talk about just a huge and you know just news filled week for Real Madrid. Just nonstop breaking news that I'm sure um, each one of us have been following. So guys, um, you know. Which one of the many stories this week was your was your favorite? <laughs> so I made a list before we started recording of things that we should prioritize. And uh, I wanted to announce today that I think I've come to the conclusion that Sri Lankan cuisine may be my favorite on earth. <laughs> <laughs> I, it a, wasn't a joke. Have you guys had Sri Lankan food? I yep. have not. Yeah. Omar, what is it, what is can it you testify? Like? Yeah, it's, it's really good. I... It's it's similar to South Indian food. I mean, I'd say I prefer South Indian food, but because it's like fairly similar, um, you know, I don't know if it's that much of a distinction I'm making. But yeah, Sri Lankan food is is definitely up there. Gabe, make it a priority like, to go this week. I, yeah, absolutely. In DC. I I actually live next to like really next to one of the best um, Ethiopian restaurants in DC, which is like um, actually a big deal because in DC has like one of the biggest. Um, uh, communities of Ethiopian immigrants, so that is a cuisine that I absolutely fucking love. Also, but my favorite cuisine in the entire world, the one that I could eat, you know, because uh, just in terms of variety, of it's just how good it is and how much the emphasis on freshness is Japanese food, guys. That's my that's my choice. How many people? How many people do you think will ask me if I'm Indian after this podcast? After I talked about. <laughs> I do know there will be a couple people that will be like, Kian, I'm unfollowing this podcast because all you did was talk about Sri Lankan food. I wanted to hear about the rich, juicy information about Real Madrid this week. Yeah. You know, the, the dozens of things that have been happening. The um, Benzema, Karim Benzema fighting with uh, 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 Gianluca Di Marzio on Twitter, This who is like in solid French and Italian, so I can barely understand what he's saying. That's like the biggest news this it's week. A, yeah, that's about the most important and relevant thing that's happened this week. And otherwise, it's 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 Sri Lankan food being like <laughs> the next most relevant thing to Real Madrid. Yeah. Well, thankfully we have a we have a history question on the on the day of Butrogenio's birthday, which I believe is today. Which I, you oh know, yeah, yo, shout out, yeah. happy birthday, Emilia uh, Butra, Buitre, come on the show. Yes. 
um, as you guys pointed out off uh, before we started recording, is that a lot of non-Real Madrid news, I guess. But Real Madrid news, it's all just you know gossip and clickbaity stuff, and and uh, I guess that we're allowed to have you know once a year to have just a week of nothing we haven't had yeah. that it's, it has not existed in in the past 25 years the real madrid history this is a historic week i have one like uh, piece of real madrid news because uh uh and it's not really real madrid but it's news to me apparently eden hazard has a brother that's not torgan he is one of yeah. a number of other children and his his he's got another brother called uh, kilian hmm. yeah i had no idea until two seconds ago yeah, I, I played with him in FIFA last night. I even brought his brother off the bench, and he did he did good work for me. You played with <laughs> Kilian Azard? No, no, the FIFA? other one. The other oh, one. Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, apparently Kilian, who is has some sort of professional contract with Chelsea, does not think his brother should go to Real Madrid. That is the most re- relevant Real Madrid transfer news I have this week. Does that that kind of confirms what we all want to happen? Doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't know, Gabe. I don't. I don't. Can't remember how you feel about Hazard. I don't care. I and that's not. I don't care. <laughs> it's just you know they're gonna make a move. Um, I almost think that they shouldn't. But if they're gonna do it, they could do worse than going out and getting him. Yeah, I think. that's basically that's basically how I feel. I mean, I I wrote a whole article that I'm sure most of you have read. Yep. And it outlines exactly that feeling, essentially that. It, he's not exactly necessary, but at the end of the day, you can't argue that it's, like, bad. So it's pretty meh. I mean, I think there's other things we should be doing, but I'm not going to throw a fit if Hazard comes. I'm yeah. walking with open arms because he's a quality player. Yeah, I think that was well put. So your article, um, with, which everyone should go and read, um, has a nice analytical, um, I guess, support to, to, to this idea of you know, Hazard may not be necessary, which we all kind of have talked about. You know what we what we do need in the squad, and and kind of what Hazard brings to the table that we we probably only have. Um, but I think you put it well when you said I don't know if you said this in your article or you said it on Twitter when you were in in the build up to the article that he would make us better, and I think none of us would cry about a signing, and 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 quite the opposite. I think we would embrace him and be happy that he signed. But I think all of us agreed that he's not necessarily. Um, someone you would splash that kind of money on when it's not really solving something that an issue that doesn't really exist where we have chance creators we have players in the final third who can who can just do things um, oh hi Luca we have Luca and your dog in the <laughs> and background Luke, they're both they're actually having a conversation together <laughs> I often think that they, they may have these you know these spiritual powers to connect uh, through our <laughs> podcast that we just don't know about Um but yeah, I, I, th- I think we we don't really need him, and uh, you know we've discussed it to death. But we also wouldn't we wouldn't be crying if if he did sign either. But. Yeah, I think the one negative about it, and like I didn't think of a lot of positive, just in the the he's a really good player, and having like the, more good players on your team is better than having not as many good players on your team. That's just pure you know basic fact. But you know the one negative is that if. Yeah, right now Madrid are in a really, really positive FFP position. And um, if they were in the future going to try to go and get one of the guys that may seem ungettable right now uh, by splashing just a huge amount of money, 
this summer where they were like were they to splash say 200 million euros which is the the figure i've seen floated for hazard uh then they might be in a position where they've then had to have to you know make it up in ffp the next year like they they're in a little bit of trouble with that respect at least and and that may be the only thing because it's not that they you know they're not a team that has an infinite amount of money unlike you know you know the 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 big teams like you know, and by big teams, I mean literally the teams that are you know owned by entire countries and are backed by those wealth. So they can't <laughs> just like go and purchase players whenever they want. They they actually do have a limited amount of money, which means that money you're spending in one place is is money you're not spending somewhere else. Which is why I was sort of interested at, like in the Thibaut Courtois for thirty five million, which seemed to me a fine deal because that frees that money for other shit. But in Nazard for two hundred million, man, that. That if let's say Madrid try to go and get you know Neymar or Kylian Mbappe in, in a year or two, that 200 million euros is actually going to be a bit of a uh, bit of a weight around their neck because of the FFP stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a fair point. That's not a that's not an angle I'd considered. That's all I have to say. Other than that, I think he's really good, and he would. I think he'd be really good for Real Madrid, and I think that he has the potential to kind of expand his game. And I think it'd be really sexy watching him play with like Isco and 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 Asensio, and you know, really just handing it over to this generation of you know creative players. And hopefully, one of them or two of them or the group of them can all kind of step up together collectively and 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 they you all know, shoulder that scoring scoring load, but. Well, look, if you, if you, if you, you know, just pretend the money thing wasn't a factor for a second. Let's say whatever the amount was. Next season, if we're recording a post-game podcast after a game where you had, you know, Hazard, Isco, and Bale in, in behind a striker, I think, I think we'd probably be discussing like a, a, a five to six goal uh, thriller. <laughs> yeah. uh, it, it would be ridiculous to see, you know, Hazard cutting in from the right, Bale cutting in from the left. Isco down the middle, or, or, or a sense you're kind of interchangeable, and all of them being interchangeable with either Benzema spearheading it or coming off the bench in a false nine. It's not like, you know, again, Hazard coming in that role is going to be scary for any opposition to deal with. And, and that's why I think, like, you know, either way it's fine. But then we're also talking about, you know, to me, Isco and Hazard play that role. Like, I, like it's the same role. Yeah, I mean, one. That's why the one other like rumor that's been kind of floated for a little bit that Madrid maybe, you know, are at least sniffing around at some of these other big strikers is an interesting one. Like, I, 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 I know that Marca or someone published a Madrid are sniffing around at Cardi story. I've heard Madrid are interested in Lewandowski, you know, story. Like, I, we, none of this is stuff that we can confirm. None of it is stuff that I even particularly think is is particularly credible, but. It's not that that it's not that bad an idea to like that's what like if you remember Kian on I think our show last week we talked about how like uh one of the the Mbappe window might open and and not like you know may not open again for another few years so maybe two or three years and in that period it could be useful to get one of these kind of elite but aging right stopgap style strikers. I, I'm higher on Icardi than both you guys are, I think, and I and I would be more than happy to sign him because to me he's someone who actually fits a need, and I think he's more versatile than people give him credit for. Um, I don't think he's just a pure poacher who does nothing else. Um, I, I I think he's limited, more limited than a Firmino or a Benzema, short. 
but I don't think he's this um, this statue, a traditional nine who, who can't do much else and link up with others. I, I think he would score buckets of goals with the amount of talent um, behind him. Uh, I don't know if Icardi is even on the radar at this point. I think if he was, I don't think I don't know how hard he would be to grab. But I think that is something that we should consider. I mean, I don't know. Benzema may or may not leave, but it looks like he'll stay. Um, and the whole Di Marcio thing is funny because after after Benzema kind of called them out and said this is a lie, um, Di Marcio apparently came out and said, um, actually no, it's true, and Milan is negotiating, and this is the fee, and like you know we actually know more than the player because the clubs are talking about you, and you have no idea, which is a a, a kind of funny situation, but. If Benzema stays, I, it's still, it's still, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would welcome a signing like a Nicardi. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if you guys would, and I think I'm higher on him than you guys are. But a stopgap makes sense to me because Mbappe, if he comes, he's probably a few years away, and um, the the market is not, you know, flooded with available, pot- uh, you know, goal scorers right now. The market is flooded with no one. Like basically, it's it's there's just not. The market after that huge spending summer last year, you know, is is really tight right now, and it's tight because a lot of the teams have, you know, upped their buy, you know, their buyout clauses, or they don't have buyout clauses, so these players are under contract. And really, the only players that are gettable right now are players that make it clear that uh, they want to leave publicly if they have a long contract, or players that are coming to the end of their contract. Uh, and in in which case, then maybe the teams are, are more willing to talk. The interesting thing is, you know, like Kovac. So one of the rumors, obviously, is that Kovacic may still want to go, but we have no idea whether that is is you know really true or not. Um, and uh, he still has a contract with Real Madrid, so you know ultimately Madrid could essentially force him to stick around. But the way he would go about leaving if he wanted to is by making a stink about it and he's begun he began to make a stink about it but that was a little bit before we saw the Lopetegui kind of come in and take over so we'll see how that goes with him but yeah the market is really really you know I've been I've been trying to say this whenever I go on on talk to people is the market is really tight right now because you know these contracts are 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 being written in ways that make it much harder for the players to 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 get out of them and and the the clubs don't seem to be as willing to get out of them themselves. Yeah, this is the situation. This is why I think, you know, like everything with contract talks and, and if you build it around that, the timing right now is just it's just a weird time for Ronaldo to leave because because of the market. Um, but I also think if there wasn't some kind of plan with Lopetegui and Flo in, in place that, you know, we we may not have let Ronaldo yeah. go so easily. So I'm I'm not worried. I'm kind of excited. But I do... I'm very curious to see where the goals will come from, and I do still think it's going to be a more collective approach because I don't I don't know if anyone's coming. One thing I keep telling people is that in the past, though, and I, I know it is it the market is like tighter or whatever, and it's tighter partially because of how much PSG broke it the other the other year. Um, part of the part of the thing that's going on right now is that there's also not that like you know influx of available younger talent, but the the historically speaking it actually was also quite difficult to make these kind of um world breaking transfers like even those big ones back in the day when madrid would you know seemingly every year break some transfer there was always a huge drama about it there was always like 
it always was very hard, and sometimes it didn't even work. I remember a number of transfers that Madrid tried to make that didn't actually end up going through. I think most notably Madrid and Steven Gerrard had a like almost a half a decade long flirtation that ended up in him just staying at Liverpool. Uh, but like, yeah, so it's not like this is like more. You know, it's a tougher market now than than other times. But I also think that it is a little bit, you know, because we're expecting Madrid, who finally uh, have a requirement to go out and get someone to to play in the market. The fact that no one else is really playing makes the market really tight, and everyone knows Madrid has to go get someone. So they're all saying that they have to spend way above market to get players. So. Well, let's not forget, I mean, like you mentioned, the, the market on young players is that there isn't much of a market right now. But also the fact that Real Madrid actually has so many of the young players already. Like we we also, we don't, we didn't talk about Vinicius Jr.'s presentation. Um, plus sign, he didn't mess up his juggling like Dembele did and others. So we I have, actually thought he, I, I, I don't, he didn't. I thought he did somehow. Maybe my expectations for these things are so low now that I just like if you can do two juggles in a row, sign sign him up. It's uh, it's a sign of confidence. You have Vinicius Junior yeah. coming in. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what happens to him. Um, whether you know whether he goes on loan, he stays. You know, the reports that he goes down to Castilla, which um, our our Sam Sharp is is not thrilled about because he thinks Solari will maybe just toss him in a blender and destroy him, and then. Yeah. Uh, you have a team that in every position we have a young talent. Like if you go from one to 11, there is a young talent in, you know, in the backup position. And I think at some point you have to either give them more playing time or give them a chance to make a leap when they haven't had a chance to. So this might be the season for that. And I also think one of the hardest things to do to sustain winning for prolonged periods is to keep your, your bench because Generally, like and throughout all sports, this is not just focused for Real Madrid uh, in football, but also other sports. If you if you have a winning team, the players who played an important role off the bench are gonna at some point want to go somewhere where they're gonna play consistently, because the team ahead of them is too good to break through, and they're too good yeah. to sit on the bench. And that's why I think it's impressive that we were able to win it three times in a row when we lost two key pieces. In James and Morata, who didn't play, play a prominent role in the Champions League, but they gave really key rest in La Liga to to other players, and I think that's an underrated aspect to sustained winning. So the fact that you know we have all this discussion now, and what do we do with young players and Kovacic, uh, the situation, you know, we can we can debate about whether how, how true his situation is, whether he wants to leave or not. But his situation is is what it is. Um, and Modric hasn't slowed down yet, and etc. And Kovacic wants to play. Like these are things that at some point you're going to have to unleash them and ask them to make a leap. Um, yeah, I totally agree with that, dude. That is that's it. I think, and I think that's exactly the way um, Madrid is approaching this season. Though, here I just want one one last thing, and then I want to do questions because I think they're going to drive. Actually, let's just do our questions. I'll just say that there's been over the last um, three days. Chelsea has been linked to three different keepers um, from different teams, including uh, England hero uh, Pickford from uh, from Everton, Schmeichel from from Leicester, among others. So you know, it does seem like they Chelsea has an upheaval at their goalkeeping position, um, regardless of who goes, you know, who, who that ends up going, you know, how that ends up happening. I mean. 
you know, so that's just one one piece of news that when you put those together, it seems like there is um, fire behind that smoke. Um, we should also quick- mention that Barca also want to sign Willian for 300 billion euros and they keep getting yeah. rejected and they'll end up driving the price up the way they did with Coutinho. That's right. Um, there's also a uh, Barcelona is also interested in um, Rabiot from PSG, potentially. Um you know, Bayern is everyone is being linked with Martial and Higuain. I'm just, I'm, you know, it's all, this is all God, it's all bullshit. I mean, it's not bullshit, but it's all like gossip. And if you're the kind of person that loves gossip, then this is a season that you will adore. The problem is that it's just, there's not that much Real Madrid related uh, real news right now. So, um, all right, let's make, uh, let's jump into, let's jump into some of these questions here because, um, I hope they drive us. I mean, because, like, I'm also happy to just talk about, like, fast food chains, by the way. Like, I think, for example, that uh, uh, I think Wendy's has really good uh, chicken sandwiches. And I think it's better than a lot of the other fast food chains. That's one of my one of my hot takes. I don't eat meat anymore. But when I did, I always preferred the Wendy's spicy chicken. It's a good it's a good sandwich. It's not bad. Kian, what like fast food, uh, veggie fast food do you eat? Uh, my go-to is I stay away from chains these days because I don't I don't eat. Um, not to be one of those preachy vegans, but I'm vegan, so my go-to is usually falafels. Uh, nice. Get yeah. me a, get me to a Middle Eastern takeout and get me a falafel, load it up yeah. with beets and all all the pickles, oh. and and I'm happy. The other That's thing is A and W never disappoints. Yeah, that's a great point, dude. I um I've been making most of my food, but I uh, I like doing the the you know, talking about fast food because of how much people hate it, and I think it's pretty funny. Can we <laughs> just can, can we do a quick check? To, is Om Arvin still awake? Like, yeah, Om, did you die? I'm here, guys. <laughs> Om Arvin, tell us Omar. about your 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 go to. You're a student, right? What's what do you even do? Do you yeah, just you live off KD some, or what? What do you uh, yeah. Oh, I cook a bit, um, but there was a subway really close to my apartment on campus, and I went to that pretty often. Um, it, it got kind of old, but 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 I like subway. I you know you can make your own sandwich. I mean, it's just a sandwich. I like sandwiches. Yeah, it's pretty. But, good. It's pretty do you ever feel bad for the subway worker? I often think about their just. They're there and they're they're always alone because the owner doesn't want to pay a lot of staff. So they're they're dealing with 10, 20 orders at once. And I always just I, I want to give them a hug each time I go in. <laughs> I feel bad um, for for generally for all low wage workers, but that's like a different discussion entirely. But I feel bad, especially when like you can tell that they've had a really bad day, and like the customer gets frustrated and like they put something wrong on the sandwich. And you can just see them get all embarrassed. Yeah, I feel yeah. bad for them then. Yeah, dude. Um, this is a my, good time so to say, if you like this discussion, please support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you like this particular... T- I mean, this is what this podcast is about. It's about us talking about our food and, and how Ohm uh, uh, orders at Subway. So if you are interested in that, please fund us on Patreon so Ohm can go to Subway and, and buy yeah. more. Yeah. different types of things but no i i when i was in college um we used to have a falafel cart that would drive around um and it would it would go um uh, weeknights it would start driving around about 7 p.m ended at about 12 
Uh, but on week uh, weekends, Kian, it would start at 10 p.m. and drive until 3.30 or 4 a.m. every weekend night. <laughs> it was the single greatest thing about my college campus. That that sounds amazing. I, I don't even know what it means to be awake at 3 a.m. anymore, by the way. Like, my my life with, with a baby you is You sleep just... three of the night with the baby? I mean, like... <laughs> well, my, dude, Luca is unreal. He sleeps 12 hours a night in his own crib, like, just... Oh, like overnight and and that's it like just an amazing sleeper so and then i go to bed early i wake up early but you know that to those to have that 3 a.m 4 a.m perk of yeah. convenience you know yeah it is it's yeah. it's a great night after yeah i mean you go out you have a good time with your friends and on the way home instead of like having to call in Domino's, which if everyone remembers Domino's literally ran an ad campaign about hey remember how we were really bad um, and we know that we were really bad. Well, guess what? Like, we're doing our best to not be as bad anymore. <laughs> that was their ad campaign when I was in college. So, um, yeah. All right. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. I will read. Let's do some questions now. Sajid Rayaz um, asks us about the movie Troy. Uh, he says, I'm sure you guys have watched Troy. Just to remember, everyone, that's a movie that came out in the mid-2000s starring Brad Pitt as Achilles. Um, and Eric Bana um, uh, was also in that movie. It It's interesting movie. Anyways, I'm sure you guys watched Troy. It's what do you flick. make of the, of the... Yeah, it is a good flick. It's good. It's an epic. It's, it's fun. Um, what do you make of the analogy of Cristiano Ronaldo being Achilles and Florentino Perez being Agamemnon? Um, both like hate each other, but they also couldn't do without each other. Also, Achilles is the world's greatest fighter, but also fights only for himself. What do you make of Cristiano's comments? Wait, what? Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's a second question. So, all right, the I I didn't like Agamemnon. Agamemnon, is that how you say it? Florentino yeah. was much more likable. Yeah, uh, I mean, I kind of get it. Um, but obviously like it's not perfect right because like Keon said Agamemnon was like openly like really arrogant and cocky but as as we've explored as you uh Keon and Gabe have explored in like uh, a couple other podcasts in the past like the relationship between Ronaldo and Perez um it, it ended on bad terms and it was never that great to begin with because Ronaldo was essentially Roman Calderon signing and Perez never saw Ronaldo as 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 his player, the one that he signed to be part of his project, um, which is why you know for a brief period when Benitez came, Bale, you know, you know they tried to make Bale kind of the main guy essentially. Um, but I, I wouldn't say it was as openly bad as. I mean, I I hope most of our listeners have watched this movie. Otherwise, they'll have no idea what we're talking about. You can also read. There's this great book that this was. It was based on. You know, like that movie is not like a just someone just thought that up. There's an entire like one of the most classic books in Western literature. So, yeah, you, if you, great if, point, if you, I, I don't like. I, I also don't. I, I, I just want to say it. I, I think there's. This is. I don't like this analogy. Um. I think that maybe. Uh, I. I just. I. I don't. I don't. I don't see Florentino as Agamemnon rushed into, basically, you know, drummed up, uh, a, a reason to go to war just so he could uh, uh, 
you know, attack Troy. And there's, I don't see any real that that. I mean, Agamemnon was impulsive. He was a terrible, you know, he was not a great king. And you know, I think the opposite is true of Florentino. So, I I kind of take exception with the the idea that Ronaldo plays for himself. I know that's a narrative against him, but whether you think that's true or not, and maybe it's true, I, I don't think it's true. I I just think it. If you if you go back to Ronaldo's career and um, you basically zero in on like you know him not celebrating certain goals and kind of apply that to his this idea that he doesn't you know he he fights for himself I I think that's unfair I think it's a bit naive I think if you I think if you look back and you and he you know he opens up about it later or whatever and he'll always say and I and I would believe him is that he he wanted to win and I think that above all is what matters most to him I think if you yes. look at his trophy count you know that is the testament to that if he was I think he comes off as a selfish player and I think that's a bit unfair I think he's he's you know if you go back also to his stats he's his playmaking stats are actually quite good and he's yeah. been able to just drop deep and and during his goal scoring drought earlier this season he he did a lot of great work to set up his teammates and some of them turn into assists some of them just key passes but he's a He's a great player, and this idea that he's selfish, like I get some of the narrative, but I also think it's unfair to generalize it to his whole career and say that he just only fights for himself. Totally agree with that. Um, also, a fun fact about that movie, Sean Bean uh, played Odysseus, and so, yeah, they only did the Iliad, but if they had done the Odyssey, it could have been, you know, Sean Bean as Odysseus, and so basically Odysseus with a Northern English voice, which would have been hilarious. Um the second part of his question, uh, Sejid's question, is uh, what do you make of Cristiano's qu- uh, comments that it was an easy decision to leave Real, leave Real Madrid and said Lowe's remarks that everyone in Madrid are very calm about his exit? I think we've all kind of have said th- the same stuff, that right? Like this is yeah. like we, what we've been saying for a while. Everyone's sort of ready for this, and we understand that this was probably the, the right moment, and there you go. Yeah, no, we spoke about the – we spoke at length about the idea that there's, there is emotional detachment from to Ronaldo from Madrid fans in Madrid. That they're just, yeah. you know, they're excited about... And I, and by the way, I just right on cue, I talked to someone from Madrid today who just told me about this. He's like, yeah, I think there's a really great opportunity next season and, you know, we're excited to see what the team does without Ronaldo. And again, not saying, you know, we necessarily feel that way or whatever, but this is a very real thing that exists and... Um, yeah, we talked about this last week, but yeah, it's just it's all sort of mutual and, and understanding, and you know, eventually Ronaldo will retire, and Madrid will probably bring him back and and do this whole thing with him, and you know, he will always be a Real Madrid legend. He will always be a Real Madrid player. He played the the best parts of his career at this club, and he played the longest part of his career at this club. So he is a Real Madrid legend, and. Um, but it, he also was ready to go, and Madrid was ready to, to begin to hand, the process of handing over the team to these younger players. All right. Um, Ramin Nagui asks us, um, who do you guys see as our primary free kick takers besides Bale? Oh, and how long do you guys think it will take for people to find a narrative where, quote, Isco is the problem for during our up, uh, upcoming season? Also, congrats, Gabe, for getting married soon. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's... um. I'm very, I'm super duper excited, um, but it is uh, a lot of money. <laughs> uh, in terms of free kick takers, Madrid has a lot of them. But if, if I would say I would, I would remind everyone that 
arguably the best goal of the World Cup was scored by a free kick by a certain Tony Kroos. So I would be interested to see mm. whether he might be someone Madrid would be interested in uh, opening up the free kick duties to. I feel like Sergio Ramos is going to be taking a lot of free kicks you now. No, he is. I, I think penalties because, too. Yeah, I, I think oh. because I think we all know Bale has always been second in line. I mean, a thing about the Ronaldo free kick situation is. Um, there was a tendency that to, to just say it was Ronaldo who took them all, but when Ronaldo and Bale were on the pitch together, which became quite rare as Bale's injury history like began, um, Bale was 99% of the time taking all the free kicks from the right-hand side of the pitch. Um, so I think there's no question that Bale is number one, like Ramin said, besides Bale. Um, but after that, I think it's just a seniority thing. So I think if Ramos just, you know, walks up the pitch and says it's mine, I don't think a single person is arguing with him. But after that, it's just whoever can be most assertive after that um, that's going to take it. And there's numbers of players. I think Kroos, um, Isco can take a decent free kick. Um, Modric can as well. Uh, I know Casemiro is actually a good free kick taker. He he shoots a nasty knuckleball. Um, I'm so, pretty yeah. excited to see. I'm sure Lovatengi will just work with them to figure out. And my guess is that we'll, what we're going to see is a lot more of a division of labor. Like, Ronaldo really liked his himself a free kick. But, you know, now that there are so many people who are capable, I, if it were me, I would say um, you guys should just sort it out and um, kind of divide the pitch up into who can hit the ball best from each angle. I personally would give it, after Bale, I would give it to Mainly Rose. Bale. And yeah, Kroos, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, if Hamas was there, Hamas would be my number one pick, actually. But after Bale, I want Kroos taking my free kicks. But, um, you know, you know, Isco wouldn't be a bad option sometimes. But I think I think it's pretty clear Kroos is the second best option after Bale. I, I mean, I think Isco. I, so sorry, Gabe, just to no, jump in. Dude, uh, I I do see a scenario where you see Bale taking the ones on the right side, and then because we have so many left. Or sorry, right footers in the team. From the left side, it gets interesting. I think Isco and Ramos will share them. I, I agree that I would like to see Kroos in the mix. I don't know if he takes them, but that goal he scored against Sweden was one of the most precise shots from that, like an angle like that. The accuracy, the 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 venom behind it, it was so perfectly placed that if he if it goes an inch or this way or that way, or if it's an inch, or you know, it's a little bit slower, it's not going in. It was so perfect. Um, one of the things I think the Casemiro point is interesting because I think there should be room for um, for for having those unorthodox free kick takers like Casemiro. Like we've seen him score one or two just crazy ones for Porto, and this kind of goes back to how I felt uh, earlier in the millennium, uh, in in this century, where the 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 status quo free kick takers were Zidane, Roberto Carlos, Beckham, Figo. And the fifth choice, which we never got to see, was Raul, who he would take them like once every, I don't know, six months, and he would score from like every single one. Um, and uh, it's it just, I, I would hope that maybe Lopetegui kind of, like like Gabe said, works with the team and comes up with these different scenarios and kind of just shuffles it a bit and, and see yeah. what he can come up with. And that's something we never really got to see in the Ronaldo era, like... That I would also kind of cool. I would also say that I think that Asensio probably is going to work his way into the mix. Sure. I mean, I know we haven't seen him uh, do it, but 
we do know that he has a fantastic shot and he's precise and powerful and he is sort of a lot of Madrid's hopes are riding on him taking the next step into being an actual superstar and so he might he might be the choice uh, eventually too yes um all right Essa Hariri says uh what's up guys what's up Essa how you doing are you uh having a good uh I hope you had you're having a good week. Get, getting ready for the next week. It's good um, Sunday, you know, chilling. Um, Essa says, "I have three small questions for you. One, do you think Ronaldo will retire at Juve? And if so, would that make you sad that he'll be remembered in people's short term as a Juve player, despite all he did with Real Madrid, especially if he achieves much there?" I don't think he'll retire at Juve. In fact, I'm now. I would. I'd be willing to wager a substantial chunk of my money on that actually mm-hmm. yeah i think he's going to retire somewhere like the mls or something yeah. like that i mean ronaldo's talked about it like, he likes la you Miami. know yeah he he likes the united states in general um it's a great place to go you know continue to market his brand um i i, I personally see him retiring somewhere like in the mls um and and not not anytime soon i think while we've discussed that, you know, maybe two, three seasons from now, he's no longer up there with the best in the world. I think he comfortably plays till he's like 40 years old. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah Ronaldo's just, he loves football too much. He's too fit. Yeah. You know, he has too much hunger, too much desire in football and outside the footballing world and in marketing and his business to just quit that easily. People will remember Ronaldo as a Real Madrid player. Yeah, that, there's uh, no question. Well, Jorge Mendes said that. Um, and again, you know, you know, you can believe it or not, but he said that this will be Ronaldo's last stop is going to Juventus, just finishing out his career. Like you guys, I, I, I don't think that is actually true, but it's just something that he said, um, you know, this past week. I think that may very well be true that hits his last uh, quote unquote uh, significant stop in terms of his footballing career, but in terms of his of where he goes to to make more money that. That is not going to be his last stop. Yeah, and just where he goes because that's the place that he wants to like build his family and and you know personality and and whatnot. It just L.A. seems like a, a classic answer. It's I the think place to my, go. everyone knows that Ronaldo also really enjoys Miami. I think you know one of those um, and you know their MLS teams in both. Well, the Miami one is pretty new, but you know the L.A. has now two MLS sides like. I'm sure that one of them would basically offer Ronaldo could you know an equity stake to play for them. That's the kind of thing he, I could totally see him doing, and I could also see him just going to China and being given a hundred million euros to play one <laughs> year. If he yeah. if he went to somewhere like L.A. or Miami, I would consider moving there with him. Just, to, <laughs> but like just uh, just to be able to connect with him later in his career because the it's the access that. American, yeah, it's way better. The access, the access in, in American sports is is so much better than um, not American sports, but American, I guess, sports culture. Uh, players are more accessible. So if you could, if you, if I would be able to just dig into it and d- dissect his brain later into his career, I would. Uh, but only if he goes to like LA. But if you move to like I don't know New York, yeah. I don't think I'd follow him. It also uh, has to work for me as well. Yeah. Um... Let's see. Next question is, do you think someone outside La Liga can win the Ballon d'Or? Certainly you mean this season. Um, and uh, I think he says the only potential candidate being Ronaldo. I mean, 
Ronaldo probably is the favorite right now. Yeah, I think Ronaldo's still the favorite. And like like we mentioned, there's still a long way to go. I mean, in the last podcast, you know, the next couple months in the beginning of the season will be decisive. But yeah, I think Ronaldo's really the only chance. And even then, I don't think a single person is is going to think of him as a Juve player win- winning it, even though that'll be the fact and more that it was his achievements with Real Madrid that led to it. Um, I mean, I'm not sure it'll even matter at the end of the day if someone outside, of, if Ronaldo wins it outside of La Liga, because I'm sure we'll still consider him to have won it as a Real Madrid player. It still, to me, is like out of Salah, Neymar, or not, sorry, not Neymar, Salah, Messi, and Ronaldo. Out of those three, who is going to start the season on fire and score like a bunch of goals from mid-August to December? And that's I think Modric. I think Modric has successfully put himself at least third, because I think the campaign has been so huge from the media side, and with him winning the Golden Ball, that I just feel like I kind of feel it was like when Iniesta. Um, I'm pretty sure Iniesta got a top three in in 2012. I could be wrong. I think maybe that was the he was a finalist. Yeah, <clears throat> so yeah, I, I think I th- it might have. I think Modric is easily a finalist. And if it were up to me, I'd even probably give him the damn award. But I would also say that no one else would... The way that's given, and you've talked about this on before, is that uh, although he may be a finalist, the winner is to me is just whoever's going to bang a bunch of goals and, yeah. and really just slam our recency bias, um, mm-hmm. cement it, and, and that'll be it. I'm not sure anyone cares about the award anymore. Like I stopped caring about it after Ronaldo won his third one. Because there was like an attachment kind of there when Ronaldo was fighting back to equal Messi. But then afterwards, like I just couldn't care anymore. Um, I don't know. Maybe it feels like people stopped caring because Ronaldo won it. But I think we're just tired. And I think most fans are starting to understand that it's not the be all and end and, and, and all of, of deciding who is the best in the world. We're starting to realize that the calendar year way of structuring it is kind of stupid. Yeah. Um, I only care about it if my fair players win. If they don't win, it's a joke award. I mean, even if <laughs> I mean that that is definitely true. I, like Barcelona fans definitely cared about this trophy deeply when Messi was winning it, and all of a sudden they were calling it trash when Ronaldo won it. But I think in general we've kind of moved past the idea of this award, or at least the way this award is given out and structured. And I think I think a good move would, by FIFA would be or end the Ballon d'Or on people would be to scrap their current way of doing it, give it based on seasons and yeah. not years, and then just just give the award within two seconds. Because like, there's so much bullshit that goes on beforehand. They like have two bands come in and play, and like no one gives yeah. a fuck, and three hours later, you finally see the award. And, the, like, the award ceremony is very cringy, and if it were up to me, I would just, it would just, um, just make it Twitter announcements. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, there's ways people are so fucking or, or, obsessed with this least, shit too. At least hire a bunch of kids to make some noise, um, because I feel bad for these great kind of journalists like Kay Murray who go up there and have to like MC the event, and nobody, everyone is just looking at it with a straight face, and everyone's like sweating in the crowd. I just, I, I, I feel so uncomfortable that I just turn it. They off. should take a page out of the American fucking books and just. Uh, hire a, a comedian to just roast them. They just mm-hmm. go up there a and roast just like would be a great idea. I, I, I don't think I don't dunk think... on all these people. That's such a good I idea. That would be awesome. But like European sporting culture is just so much more like closed off and conservative. Like Keon mentioned, it's so hard to get access to. I think it would be interesting to see 
Ronaldo watching as he got roasted on stage to see how he'd react. <laughs> I was down for that, but I don't know how how well you know these European superstars will react to that. Or get a real personality to host, like maybe like someone like Zlatan. I would watch that. Oh, I'd that watch was the shit out of that. Yeah, I watch every set. He'd give it to himself. He'd be like, <laughs> yeah, and the vote is, oh, I won it. That's me. It's like <laughs> I know you say I wasn't nominated, but that's what it says. Sorry. Um, all right. Uh, Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Hey, yeah, Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Do you think someone else... Oh, yeah, here. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Managing Madrid. Um, has Isco reached his peak? I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that is going to... There's going to be a, a lot of Madrid's next few years are going to ride on the answer to that question. So Isco is 26 years old right now, and I can kind of consider a footballer's peak to be 27 to 29 years old, maybe 26 to 30. Um, so I would say that right now when it comes to all his physical qualities and his technical qualities, he is in his prime years, but we haven't got to see the best of what Isco can do at Real Madrid, if that makes sense, because he really hasn't gotten the consistent playing time since really the Ancelotti years, when he was still very much growing as a player. Um, and I think this whole situation at Real Madrid comes at a perfect time for Isco, because he is entering his prime years. And if he if he gets his chance, if he plays in a well structured system, and you know he's he's not allowed to roam too free and too far. I think we can really see. I think people will perceive it to be a huge leap for Isco. Like the 16, 17 season, people thought this Isco is something we've never seen. When personally, I thought Isco had always showed that quality. It's just that we were seeing it more regularly. I think something what we saw towards the end of the 2016, 17 season is what we're in for over the next couple seasons. And I think people will perceive that to be this is just Isco on another level. And while I think he is going to move up you know, a, a bit in, in his ability. I think this is just going to be something us seeing what we could have sort of seen before had he more, had more minutes. Um, and just really him showing us something that was already there. Um, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think the Isco that we saw in 2013, when we had just signed him from Malaga, we were excited about him. I think we all knew his talent level, and we all expected that he would get to, he had the potential to become just an elite, elite world-class player, one of the best in his position. And I think it wasn't until last season where we truly saw that kind of prophecy fulfilled. And a lot of a lot of years of just kind of grinding through on in, in and out of form, being a bit superfluous with the ball, tunnel vision with the ball at times, learning to kind of iron out and flesh out some of the inefficiencies of his game and still was still, and still working on it. I think, I think Ohm's point twenty six to thirty. It's a, it's a generally that's a good peak. I would say as we go year to year and we see what the human body is capable of, I think we can see the peak extended. We talked a bit about this last week, how you know just certain players will have better seasons even past their peak, like LeBron or Modric. Uh, this year, you wouldn't say this is prime Modric, but you could argue this is maybe his best football because just the, the level he's playing at, the, the amount of time he sustained it for. I think it's not inconceivable that we see Isco's best years coming like three or four years from now. Um, I, yeah. I, I would, I, 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 I kind of, I agree with the general idea of what you're saying. I think 
Um, I, I still think the peak years haven't really changed in the sense that, like, I would say, like, LeBron's peak was still 2013 when he was 28 years old. Yeah. Um, but I, the ability to extend, like, stretch those prime years, even while there's a decline, to maintain that super high level, even if you're not at your absolute best, is definitely something that has changed. If you look at, like, Ronaldinho, you yeah. know, you, you look at those types of players... Raul. They they had super high peaks, and then there was a huge drop off afterwards. I mean, even Lionel Messi right now, um, I, I'm guessing this what I'm going to say is kind of a hot take, but I, we haven't seen peak Messi in a while no, now. No, it's my not opinion. a hot take. It, uh, if you, if you watch Messi game in game out, it wasn't the same Messi. Yeah, Just possessed think... more often, gave the ball away more often, okay. but he's still he's still great. Um, mm. I think you're right, but I would say, Om, I think the the thing we can say that. If you're not at your physical peak, you could be at your mental peak at 30. Yeah, I think I think the thing with like for example LeBron, he has gotten more intelligent with yeah. his passing, I exactly. would say. I I think you could argue this was his greatest offensive season yeah. and maybe not his best overall because he saved himself on defense. Yeah. And I think with Ronaldo, I think in 2016-17 you could have said that Champions League campaign was his best because he was just so intelligent with the way he used himself. He, he yeah. essentially his timing was perfect with the knockout goals he scored um but yeah i don't think we're in much disagreement here it's more semantics but yeah, yeah. yeah definitely i would i would agree isco 32 33 years old could still be a class player um and i mean i i hope i hope he reaches his full potential with lopetegi i hope he stays here a while um i it's something i'm really anticipating i'm really excited isco was my favorite signing post ronaldo I was never as excited for a signing as 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 I was for him, you know. Even you know Bale, Hamas, all these players. Isco was the one that excited me the most. So I have a real personal stake in hoping that we see the absolute best of him this season. And if if it happens, we're going to be in for some really really fun football. Yo, and I just want to say just to move on. Um, huge shout out to Mesut Ozil, absolute king releasing an incredible statement uh, where he quit is quitting the German national team over uh, the racism and flagrant xenophobia of the DFB. Uh, I'm just going to read quickly from it. Uh, 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 He, he says, um, uh, this is because despite paying my taxes in Germany, donating facilities to German schools and winning the World Cup with Germany in 2014, I am still not accepted into society. I'm treated as being different. I received the Bambi Award in 2010 as an example of successful integration into German society. I received a silver laurel leaf in 2014 from the Federal Republic of Germany, and I was a German football ambassador in 2015. But clearly, I am not German. Are there criteria for being fully German that I do not fit? My friend Lukas Podolski and Miroslav Klose are never referred to as German-Polish, so why am I German-Turkish? Is it because it is Turkey? Is it is it because I'm a Muslim? I think here lays an important issue. By being referred to as German-Turkish, it is already distinguishing people who have family from more than one country. I was born and educated in Germany, so why don't people accept that I am German? The DFB's opinion can be found elsewhere, too. I was called by Bernd um, Holzhauser, a German politician, a goat fucker because of my picture with President Erdogan and my Turkish background. Furthermore, Werner Stier, 
uh, to, uh, the chief of German theater told me to piss off to Anatolia, a place in Turkey where many immigrants are based. As I have said before, criticizing and abusing me because of my family ancestry is a disgraceful line to cross, and, and using discrimination as a tool for political propaganda is something that should immediately result in the res resignation of those disrespectful individuals. These people have used my picture with President Erdogan as an opportunity to express their previously hidden racist tendencies, and this is dangerous to our society. They are no better than the German fan who told me after the game against Sweden, uh, Ozil, fuck off, you Turkish shit. Pick, piss off, you Turkish pig. Ozil, Mesut Ozil, king. Congratulations. This is an incredibly powerful resignation letter. I'm so sorry that he had to go through this. And I'm so, so, so impressed that he stepped up like this. He's an absolute king. So... This is an interesting situation because I think everything Ozil said in this statement is 100% correct because there has been an issue, especially in, in the whole German Federation, with racism towards Ozil. And I think just in general, the way over the World Cup we've treated immigrants as being part of our country when they do something good, but then separating our identity from us when they do something bad. But I think also... In, in his first statement, Ozil kind of, because he, he did kind of go out of his way to meet with Erdogan and do a press shoot in election time in Turkey. And he tried to brush that, brush that off as something that was apolitical. And so I think the reaction to that from the German press and from the German Federation was disgraceful because the angle they took was extremely xenophobic. But I think I think mostly I side with Ozil here, but the way he tried to brush off what he did with Erdogan is not something that sit well, sits well with me because you can't just meet you know, with a political leader in election time and then say it was completely apolitical as a charity event. Erdogan was 100% was using that to lend credibility to his fascist rule in Turkey. I mean, sure. Erdogan, I, all, and, I'm, all I'm saying is uh, the, the demonization of, uh, like you were saying, the demonization of immigrants... Uh, and the making them not, you know, making them as not part of the country when they do something bad uh, is terrible. And I'm mm -hmm. very glad Ozil is calling it out. That is separate from the questions of his own, in my opinion, his own, you know, morality and whether that itself is a what is you know is under question, given the fact that he decided to do a publicity shoot with. Uh, uh, with Erdogan, just like Salah, for example, mm -hmm. did a publicity shoots uh, a number of publicity shoots with uh, with Ramzan Khadirov in in um, uh, the Chechen leader. So, I mean, these are all questions. But the the DF the way that the DFB handled it is is a disgraceful thing, and I'm glad that Erdogan called them out. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I agree. It's also worth noting that uh, Matar Lothouse, I don't know how to pronounce his name yeah. properly. He um he met with Putin. And there was an outrage about that. So yeah. there, there was definitely bias there. And also, I think I, I think you have to take a very nuanced opinion here because there have been articles written about Turkish players. I think like Arda Turan, who did not endorse Erdogan, who refused to take pictures with him and essentially have, you know, they're not welcome in Turkey anymore. So I it's it's difficult. I, I don't know if Ozil had as much of a choice as some of us think we do, but I, I definitely think that gave to your original point, the reaction to it was not the type of reaction that 
anyone would have wanted. I think there was space for political criticism, what Ozil did for being naive, for questioning, you know, whether how much of a choice he had in that decision. But the and even angle- supporting Erdogan, you you can you should be quite like, criticized for right. that. But the 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 way that they've gone about criticizing it, it's completely the wrong it. way. Yeah, it, the angle they took was was you you don't attack Ozil for his Turkish roots and then blame him, blame that for then saying this is why the German team failed in the World Cup. Like it's just been a fuck fest all around. Yeah. Um, it's another example, I think, of how sports and politics intersect, no matter how much we want to separate them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very interesting issue. I think I, I welcome all readers to investigate it more, investigate Erdogan more, investigate. The, there's a good Guardian article on a player who, you know, was kind of punished for not doing the kind of thing that Ozil did. Very interesting subject. Yes. Um, and if you really want to d- d- take a deep dive, there's a um, not hilarious. I mean, I know it's not really hilarious, but there's a. A uh, story of an NBA player who literally doesn't speak to his parents anymore because uh, of their the politics in Turkey. So it's obviously not a. Uh, it's obviously one of these one of the more complicated and complex uh, uh, arenas that we can do. But I, I, yeah, everyone should go and check it out. And you know, I personally would never have done what Özil did, but I also really think that regardless of that, he should be commended for calling out. It's a hard thing to do to quit the national team and call out, you know, the people who who, you know, especially someone who's a bi, you know, binational person myself, like it's an impossibly hard t- thing to do to, to, to do something like that, just because when you do it, it feels like because his whole life, you can tell from the, the pain in this art this this message that his whole life, he'd felt like he wasn't welcome, that he felt like they were treating him like he wasn't German, that he was less than and by representing German, he he got to be and and he got to finally put that stuff behind him, uh, at least he thought. And then when you know when these things started happening and and when these people were saying these things about him, all of that, all of those feelings and all of that otherness, all just flooded back. Um, you can just it's an it's a it's a very painful thing. And despite you know his I think clear moral failing in in supporting Erdogan and his you know, more and more seeming like a fascist coup, you know, regardless of that, you you don't want to have people in your country that you treat like that. So um, anyways, yeah, I just wanted to uh, shout out to my to my main man. Um, Let's uh, let's move on from from politics, unless you guys have anything else to say about this and talk uh, a little bit. We have one of our uh, patrons, one of our followers, uh, Grant Little. Um, is going to Madrid, and he would love to meet up. Um, he's studying the broad there from August 23rd to the to December 23rd. Um, so if anyone else is in Madrid, uh, you know, reach out to Graham um, or Grant. Sorry, uh, he's on Patreon, so just he posted this. Um, I'm sure just reply and and meet up. It'd be really dope. And send us a picture, and we'll we'll put it up on Twitter. Um, yeah, Kian, do you have any? Do we have anything else that we want to discuss? Uh, bu- the Butrogueno question, I think. There's a good question on Butrogueno, which I think we should take. I Can I just go back to East Coast stuff for one second? Um, because there's a one of the things that Ramin Nagy asked earlier. Um, I don't know if we truly addressed it. And it kind of resurfaces under Essa. So Ramin, when he says, um, how long do you guys think it will take for people to find a narrative where Isco was the problem during our season. Oh yeah, season. I was forgot about this question. Uh, and then Essa says, what should Isco improve on? I think one of the things that uh, Isco gets gets criticized for, some of it is fair, some of it is unfair, 
um, let's say, but as you know, the, the narrative writing against him, largely so, is he doesn't release the ball quick enough or he's too slow. I think Isco in the past season has been tremendous. I think there's been a lot of times where he's made the wrong decision. I also think there's been a lot of times where it's been exaggerated, where against PSG, for example, in the first leg at home, there were instances where he had an outlet to pass through on a counterattack and he decided to slow, slow it down. And people would look at that one play and say, this player was open and that's it. Isco had a bad game. He needs to, he needs to be benched. He's not efficient, blah, blah, blah. I think also, and I, and I remember going back and writing about that particular game and going through and rewatching it. And, and um, I remember I was in the stadium for that game. And then the next day I watched it again and just kind of put a lens on Isco. And the guy worked so hard without the ball in terms of just high pressing relentlessly, like as if he had eight lungs to spare, um, causing PSG to cover up possession multiple times. He was one of the only ones actually creating anything offensively until Bale and Vasquez and Asensio came in late in the second half. And I think with Spain even, I, I don't know where Spain would have been as bad as a tournament as they had. I don't know where they would have been offensively without him. He was the only one who was trying to be incisive in the final third where everyone else was just recycling possession and Nisco was just a constant outlet. So while I think he has things to improve on i i'd also say that there's always going to be a contingent of people who will look at one bad pass he's made or one pass he didn't make to like a wide open bail or whoever it may be and just call him inefficient and, and superfluous and and call him for the bench and i think that'll be probably unfair whereas the other good things he does trumps those moments i do i do think that we haven't seen peak isco yet i do think he can improve certain things of his game and largely probably just being a bit more efficient and vertical. But again, I, I don't even know if that's fair because I thought he's done a really good job in the past few months to, to actually be more efficient. And I think we have a narrative that he's stuck with that he may need a few months to shed um, fairly sure. or unfairly. Yeah, I I, would... I, 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 pers- I personally shed the idea that Isco is this inefficient player, um, et cetera, et cetera. I shed that narrative a long time ago because I felt... He really matured in the Ancelotti years, especially the 14-15 season, where 99% of the time that wasn't really an issue anymore. Um, I think I think the bigger deal that arose later um, that, that was a real issue was the idea of Isco dropping too deep, etc., etc. Yeah. But I, I don't think you could ever detach that from the system and the tactics that he played in. I think, I think the issue is if you let... Isco play in a team that is too fluid and is not structured in the way it plays, then Isco is automatically then going to move deep and and look for the ball because there's there's not structured lines of attacking play. And the truth is that wasn't a problem with Lopetegui because Lopetegui likes to play Juego de Posicion, a, a, a pretty structured style of attacking play that requires players to be in specific zones. And we kind of saw that Isco problem with Hierro a little bit in the World Cup, but that was because Hiro's attacking tactics became more and more fluid as time went on because he didn't have the same tactical um that you know tactical knowledge as Lopetegi and he was just following a very generic blueprint than rather the specific, you know, the, the specific tactical uh, patterns that Lopetegi had had created. So I personally don't think that's gonna be in in, in an issue under Hulin. Um, and I think really what we're talking about with, with that Isco issue of him going all over the place and dropping too deep 
was a pretty short period of time in the last season with Zidane mainly when things just got overly fluid and Isco was I mean, Isco was the DM, Casemiro was the number 10. Um, I don't really think that would be an issue anymore. Mm. Um, but, you know, I could be wrong. But I, with what I know, I, I, I think it's reasonable to assume that that's not something we're going to see as much anymore. Well, we, I, I agree. Think we... I agree with. Um, um, I would also say just to Ramin's point, I, uh, I think it's more likely that um, the X players the problem narrative emerges about a player who's not Spanish, just because that's sort of the pattern that the Spanish kind of tabloids go with. So it's more likely it'll be it's Bale's fault or it's Benzema if he's still around's fault or it's you know whatever problem it's it's someone else's fault and not the not the Spanish players but you know maybe well we the the those narratives mostly came from the fans rather than the Spanish media um the Isco ones um the yeah rest, Hamas fans etc yeah and, and so but the the whole thing about him dropping deep under Hierro and those limited matches we saw Hierro as a coach. They actually, it actually happened quite a bit, and I think there's to me there's not many arguments for having a player like Isco run across the pitch to show us an outlet two inches away from a defensive midfielder when, with no one around. Whereas, like I think it's a good point about the juego de posición and how that might rectify a lot of these issues. I can kind of, you can like if you really wanted to stretch and and clutch at straws to find an excuse for it, you may be able to with Real Madrid that. You'd rather have Isco carrying the ball than Casemiro deep if you wanted to just hand it off to him. But in a Spain team where you had like Busquets and and who else was in that team? Everyone from Coque to Thiago to Iniesta to Silva to Asensio and all those people. It seems so ridiculous just to watch that over and over again where Silva and everyone else would just stay stand around and Busquets would just look at the ball and Isco would run halfway across the pitch to just be like, here, give me the ball, just hand it to me. I, that stuff, I hope we'll see rectified under Lopetegui. Yep, agree 100%. Why don't you guys um, hop into the Butragueño thing? I'm, my, I'm having some internet issues, so I may take this opportunity personally to uh, uh, log off. But Oh, okay. No, I'm just just FYI. I, I'm gonna try to stay on, but if if I if my computer if you can't hear from me, it's because uh, my internet. There's something going on with my internet, in my building. I don't know. There's a big thunderstorm here in DC. I think that something oh, okay. was going down with that. But just okay. FYI, everybody. Patreon.com/slash/managingmadrid. <laughs> hey, if you did, if you give us more money, we might be able to fix the internet. That is, he, that is a fact. If you've stuck with us this far, you're a true fucking fan. Yeah. And that means you're probably a patron. And if you're not, it sounds like the thing that you would do. And I, I think you should go do that right now. Yeah, seriously. Um, this is a question from a non-patron. Um, at Ruthwich Reddy on Twitter, he says, Hey, Keon, Gabe, and um, since today is the birthday of the great Putrogenio, can you please talk about his legacy at Real Madrid and the role he's playing today in... Uh, and the role he's playing today. Um, so is it today? His, it's his official birthday? today right yeah i think so yeah it is okay. july 22nd 1963 was when emilio butrogunio was born so feel free to jump in whenever you want um i will just quickly say uh first of all great human being i had a chance to have a lengthy discussion with him uh a couple summers ago i think it was 
Um, English is flawless, by the way. And uh, just to genuinely, I'm talking to a legend and um, the whole time he, he kept turning the conversation back to me. How are you? Tell me about your story. How did your dad become Maridis, etc.? And he's genuinely just did not care about himself. And that was an, um, just one of the long-lasting memories that I'll never forget. As a player, like we like we've seen with so many uh, legendary players who sit at high thrones in the club's history, they they come at a time where the club really needs them and puts them on the, puts the team on his back and and wins trophies and and does a lot of great things. Before I guess he broke out like around eighty four eighty five because he joined Castilla. I think it was eighty eighty one. He broke out in the first team eighty four eighty five. And then I think he had his best year towards the late 80s, like between 86 to 91. And I'd say like his peak was probably 80, 88 to 90 around that time. Um, the club just was kind of in a dark, dark stage. You know, like we can talk about how Raul and how he took over the Butrogenio mantle and he, he ended up benching him. And, and with Raul, they won three Champions League in five years. And two of them, Raul was prominent in, and and the team wasn't that great, but he really stepped up. With Butrogenio, this is a, a Real Madrid team that was bouncing around the UEFA Cup, uh, was eliminated in the round of sixty-four of the of the eighty-four UEFA Cup. Then they won. Then he came in. They won back-to-back UEFA Cups, and then they, he never won the Champions League, but. Through his peak between 86, 89, that time, they got to the Champions League semifinal three seasons straight in a row, which is which is impressive. They won the league. They dominated the league. I think like five, 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 La, Liga, league, five, league five La Liga in a row. So, I, I, and um, he was never a prolific scorer, but I also don't think he needed to be either because that was the, also one of the things that is under-talked about in the, in the Quinta del Buitre era is that it also possessed Hugo freaking Sanchez who was scoring buckets and buckets of goals. So yeah. Butrogenio could just be relied on as just someone who didn't have to be too prolific, but just kind of guide the team. He was his charismatic leader. And one of the things before I kind of just wrap up my little spiel here is that he had this knack for just freezing in the box, like with the ball, where he would be in the box and he would just stop. And everyone would just stop. They didn't know... They didn't want to lunge in and get the ball because they, they they knew they were going to get beat. And Butrogenio would just play these mind games in the box where he could just literally stop playing in the box and look. And everyone would stop. And that that part was really cool. He scored a great goal, one of the greatest goals in club history, kind of in a moment like that where he just kept playing and stopping. And, and he beat like a bunch of players and scored from an acute angle. And um, happy b- birthday, Buitre. Great man, great legend of the club. Um I'm glad this question came up. Yeah, so I think that was a pretty good summary of what he offered. I'll just add a couple of things. Um, like Keon said, an absolute legend of the game. I think mentioning that he played with Hugo Sanchez was, was good because he had a decent goal-scoring record. Uh, Emilio, he was 123 goals in 341 league games. Um, he kind of had a Benzema to Ronaldo you know, role type feel to his game. You know, he was a very all round forward, very elegant player, you know, a, a pretty good dribbler. He, he he wasn't like super fast or anything, but he, he just had this languid, you know, elegant quality to him. He could just glide past players, you know, very good all round. And, and like you mentioned, he came at a time when Real Madrid was not very good at all. Um, You know, there's 
famous, you know, uh, room, you know, I wouldn't say rumors, but like legends of the time was that people attended, you know, the Castilla games in larger numbers than they attended the Real Madrid first team games. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not, but that just kind of gives you the sense of what the feeling was of the team at the time. And and he came in and what he essentially did was he led a great, you know, probably our greatest ever, you know, youth cohort um, from La Fabrica. And he led Real Madrid and he led that cohort to five La Liga titles. And those those five players were Sanchez, Rafael, Martin Vasquez, Michel, Miguel Pardeza, and then Emilio Burtugueno himself. And those five players were called the La Quinta del Buitre, which meant the vulture cohort. And that created a whole new legend to Real Madrid because it was really the first time, well, I don't want to say first time, but the, the, the most famous period where our youth players really shone. And it created this, this, this strong connection you know, to our youth players. And this, there's always, since then, been this feeling that we should always have one great youth player on our team. And that kind of continued with Raul, Iker Casillas. And since then, we've kind of been searching for that player. We've had Carvajal now come in. And that kind of created this this part of part to Real Madrid's identity that while I think people outside the club have, have never really investigated, they think Real Madrid just goes out and buys superstars. But all Real Madrid fans now feel this kind of attachment to Castilla, and, and wanting youth players to to come up from the ranks like Morata, etc. And that really is because of Emilia Butrugueno and the and, and the, the the five the the four youth players that he led, five including himself. And it's a really interesting period of history. It's not something that I think we talk about enough because we tend to remember the immediate past and then the beginning, you know, of our story. So the Alfredo Di Stefano uh, time and then, you know, Ronaldo, you know, Raul and we don't really go farther than Raul. There's some really interesting periods in the middle. You know, Hugo Sanchez, one of the most underrated players in Real Madrid history. He was the Ronaldo before we had a Ronaldo. And then you have Butrugueno. Um, so I encourage you all to look into that. You know, great time in our history. Probably our most dominant league period since, you know, the Di Stefano area. Ar- arguably more dominant. You know, like Keon said, great guy. He was known for being the, you know, he had some nickname that was something like the gentleman of the pitch or something like that because he never got a red card in his career. So, yeah, happy this was brought up. Ashamed to say that I didn't know it was his birthday before it was brought up, but I'm glad I got to talk about it. And, yeah, I hope all of you take the time to learn more about him. Also, please go back and listen to the podcast we did uh, with our Real Madrid All-Time 11. I had someone comment on one of the podcasts recently and say, can you guys please do a Real Madrid history podcast? That all-time 11 takes us into all kinds of discussion. Oh, um, yeah, that was that was a great podcast. Yeah. You guys should check it out. Probably, possibly one of our greatest podcasts ever. And um, if you want to know about history and stuff, go, go listen to that podcast because it'll always be relevant until we have to update it, which I don't think we'll have to do anytime soon because it was updated to the point where Modric was, was in there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Gabe, are you around to lead us out? Yeah, I'm here. Happy to. That was a great discussion, guys. I didn't want to jump in. I was worried that if I tried to uh, inject myself, I would just cut out. But um, yeah, there's. Uh, I think that we should probably just do some patron shoutouts and then um, wrap this baby up. Let's do it. I haven't told you guys yet, but patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. You can pledge different rewards. 
uh, pledge different amounts and get different rewards. And one of your rewards, if you pledge $10 or more, is you get a specific shout-out on the podcast. So shout-out to all of our magnificent patrons. Shout-out to these specific patrons who pledge $10 or more. Nick Stefani, Frederick Sundros, Leon Stavronakis, Bjorn Salvador, John Fernandez, Said Mahad, Sergio Monleon, Red Bat, Yahya Ibrahim, Nick Ribeiro, Eric Rogers, Sheikh Atiri, Dan Berthy, Jahan Watson, Selvin Adolfo Chamali Perez, Anas Alazawi, Raul Gutierrez, Armin Gashi, Raga Patluri, Tyler Dixon, Vicky Cohen, Jason Fitz, Anton Hackberg, Jimmy Obey, Solomon Ortiz, Jeanette, and Daniel Smith. Thank you guys. You guys are all amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, sorry about this show. I mean, <laughs> there's not that much to talk about. So now you get to hear you know, about our uh, fast food preferences and best cuisines in the world. And you uh, had, I think, Luca's first real cameo. And um, uh, But also, I hope that you guys enjoyed the very interesting discussion about Butagueño and then um, uh, kind of some of the preview discussions about uh, some of the other players and how we're moving forward. All right, so until uh, until your patron show, hopefully we have um, some news, a little bit of notes. Uh, until your patron show on Wednesday, see you soon. A la Madrid. A la Madrid. Mattress Firm's most popular sale is back. Why? Because people like you love it. Janine from Bolingbrook told us that getting the king-size mattress for the price of a queen was excellent. So for a limited time, we've dropped the price of a king to a queen and the price of a queen to a twin. So you can enjoy incredible savings across America's best-selling brands, up to $600. But this sale won't last long. So hurry in today. Your budget stretches further at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply valid at participating locations only. For offer details, visit mattressfirm.com sale. Have you heard? Metro by T-Mobile now includes Amazon Prime. Yes, enjoy the best of shopping and entertainment, movies, TV shows, music, free shipping, and much more. All included for just $40 per line for three lines. All on the T-Mobile network. Discover the smarter way. Metro by T-Mobile. That's genius. One offer per account. Offer subject to change. $12.99 per month value. Offer valid for new Amazon Prime members. Metro customers may notice reduced speeds versus some T-Mobile customers. Video at 480p. Capable device required. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sports Social Podcast Network.